Cool. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, this is Manny Escamilla, the Full Metal Archivist, coming out of the slightly less hot but still uh, somewhat warm city of Santa Ana. So thanks uh, to everyone that uh, tuned in for the first podcast. Really appreciate the uh, feedback that we got out of that one. And we're going to keep these coming uh, to you, uh, making sure that you are informed and uh, participate you know, more in your local government and um, have a bit of insight as to what's going on with all the craziness that we have here locally. And, uh, you know, with all that craziness, uh, nothing's probably more... Um, unexpected than this specific recall that's going on right now. So this is a recall election that's going on for Tuesday, May 19th. Uh, and it's a recall vote against uh, the uh, council member Ceci Iglesias. And, um, you know, just a lot of uh, moving parts to this particular thing, how we got here, the cost uh, of it all to residents, and whether or not this is essentially political payback from the police union uh, towards uh, someone that, you know, cast a no vote for a uh, raise for the police uh, last year. So this is uh, something that you know, no matter kind of what side you are on the uh, political spectrum, it's uh, raised a few eyebrows. Um, but, you know, with that, we actually were, were able to get one of the candidates uh, to come in to kind of speak about why they're running, uh, to kind of give you their perspective on, um, you know, this whole um, uh, situation, I guess is probably the most polite way to, to describe it. Um, and, you know, we're just going to go into that. So the person that we have with us today is uh, Ty Viet Fan. Uh, so we uh, had a pretty nice interview with her, kind of went over a lot of, um, you know, topics as far as why she's running, why, why she thinks uh, you know, folks should vote yes, um, and why you, you, she you know, basically says that you should vote for her. Um, you know, and again, it's up to you all out there to decide what works for you. Just trying to provide uh, more information and the opportunity to gain access to these folks. Is, you know, one of the things that's really great about local um, politics and local policy and working through your city is that you can actually reach out to these folks. A lot of them are very uh, amenable to meeting with uh, residents, uh, meeting with different constituency groups, and it's important to uh, just reach out and talk. You know, if you really have a question, I think that uh, it's always best to hear it directly from the person. Uh, but if not, you know, to, to be able to hear fr- from uh, the various folks involved and to form your own opinions on uh, these, you know, relatively, you know, well, not really, not even relatively, these, you know, controversial topics and uh, things that are these decisions that are going to completely impact the future of the city. We managed to get Ty in uh, before the council debate that was hosted by the uh, Community Linkage Forum. So that's another local organization. Uh, we can provide the link um, in the description that really kind of provides a forum for all the council members uh, and uh, people that are aspiring to run here locally. They always put on some really great events. Uh, at this time, uh, we're all kind of getting used to doing things online. So they managed to uh, put together a little video conference. That was an interesting experience. Uh, we, we definitely had... Um, yeah, not as many technical issues as I was expecting, actually. I thought it went off uh, pretty well. But we, you know, we're still kind of missing that in-person connection. But you know, as we all sit at home and uh, make sure to socially distance, uh, we are you know, in a situation that we've never been through. And um, it's just uh, still an important time to, to get involved and be involved, um, you know, especially for some of those folks uh, like me now that have a little bit more time on their hands than even before. So this is um, a, a very interesting time to, to be around and you know, be sure to keep notes, uh, keep a diary. Uh, it's a very uh, important time in, in history. So, yeah, it's a local story, and I you know, do appreciate it. Anytime uh, folks write down their histories and you know, save it somewhere. So, uh, okay, okay, that was a little bit rambling, and now um, we're going to be going into the um, conversation that we had with Ty Yet Fan. Baby, homie, when I feel lonely, why you always with? 
with your homies If you really love me then show me Show me So, hi, welcome to the show. Uh, this is, I, I guess, our first uh, guest interview of someone who's a potential uh, elected here. Um, so thank you for being the first one that we have. Well, thank you for having me. I am a planning commissioner, so happy to be here and talk about the issues in the city. All right, awesome. So, yeah, I guess let's just start by uh, telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I, well, my family and I came to the States when I was about one and a half. I was born near a refugee camp in Thailand, hence the name Thai. My parents were very creative. (laughs) Um, So I've been in Santa Ana my whole life. This is the only home that uh, my mom's ever known outside of Vietnam and uh, grew up here, went to public schools here and uh, was the first in my family to go to college. I went to UCLA for undergrad and eventually went to get my master's in public policy and my law degree at USC. So doing all that, decided to move back to uh, Orange County, but specifically Santa Ana, right? The community where I grew up and now I live five minutes away from my mom. Oh, that's nice. Um, so how are you all uh, handling the uh, the current shutdown? Uh, well, I'm fine working from home because about two weeks before kind of, you know, the stay-at-home orders, uh, we put together our home office. So it's actually kind of nicer than my work office, which is great. Um, I'm very uh, lucky to be able to say that, but it's been hard not being able to see my mom. I try to see her like once a week and um, she she's older. And so just trying to do uh, video calls when we can, but it's not the same. We're very affectionate. And so I do miss her a lot. Hopefully this ends soon and we can you know, have dinner together and all that stuff. Yeah, no, uh, life will, will definitely be, be different uh, one way or another. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it all kind of turns out. Um, so wh- why run? And um, if you can tell me kind of like what the what your overall vision for the city is. Yeah, so I, on my day job, I'm a local government attorney. I work at a local law firm and we represent public agencies, specifically cities for the most part. So I'm currently the appointed assistant city attorney in the cities of Duarte and Menifee. So if you don't know where they are, Duarte is in LA County. It's a little bit smaller. It's an older city, uh, mostly built out and any development in there is usually infill development. So it's pretty urban and uh, pretty democratic. And Menifee is out in the desert, Riverside County. It's uh, very rural, but growing and expanding very fast. Lots of big development projects going out out there. And it's very conservative for the most part. So I spend, you know, 60 to 80 hours a week normally working with cities, uh, land use staff, planning staff, um, and advising our planning commissioners and with our clients and other public officials on how to deal with development in their city, how to comply with state and federal law, how to draft ordinances. And, you know, turning my attention to our hometown here in Santa Ana, I just felt like there was something missing. I think that a huge part of that is because our general plan is very old and there is kind of helter-skelter development 
And I wanted to bring that background to the dais. I wanted to bring that background to the city and having grown up here and, um, you know, understanding the issues from being a child and being an adult and now a young professional. I think there are a lot of things that we can do to really improve our city for residents. All right. So that's actually, I, I, so it's great experience, now, but the, the thing that I guess uh, folks are wondering is like, you know, how, how does your, um, your already busy schedule fit something like uh, running for, for council? I know that it's only a part-time position, but <laughs> so, you know, like how, you know, that, that is like a, a big worry, right? It's like, how do you actually make it all work? So I have a time turner, no, <laughs> uh, Harry Potter joke for uh, you nerds yep. out there. Um, no, so I, when I decided to run, I, my family and I made a commitment to the city. We, this is my home and this is my husband's adopted home. He's from Ohio. And I decided to go part-time at work. I decreased my hours at work, uh, obviously took a pay cut because I feel very strongly that when we are from here and we know the issues in our hometown, the fact that we can't afford housing here, the fact that, you know, it's not safe to walk on the streets sometimes, the fact that, you know, our cars are being destroyed because the roads are not being taken care of, the fact that we can't spend time in our parks or uh, all of these issues. Um, so we made that commitment as a family and uh, with that uh part-time work, I'm also taking my new free time uh, to campaign and to be a planning commissioner and to work with uh, the residents. All right. So for those of the, for those people that um, are, let's say, you know, living their lives and not paying as close attention to the ins and outs of every single political uh, turn and every election and, you know, kind of everything that goes on for for us uh, city watchers, what is going on with the special election? Just like, I, I wanna hear your version of if, how we got here. Yeah, so it's definitely an interesting path. I had announced to run um, for November because um, tracking, you know, going way back, the city settled a lawsuit uh, for California Voting Rights Act uh, violation, essentially, or concern, really, um, because APIs have never been uh, represented much on the dais. In 150 years, Asian Americans have only been able to elect, uh, I guess, one and a half <laughs> council members to the dais and never elected an Asian woman. And so that happened. So I announced for that. And um, but then this recall was certified and it was sponsored seemingly by the Police Officers Association against two council members and uh, one being Juan Viegas and the other being Cecilia Iglesias. Um, I guess the Juan Viegas one went away. I don't really know uh, what happened there, but obviously with Cecilia Iglesias, that petition um, garnered over, I believe, 16,000 signatures. And so it's certified under our California constitution. It is a valid certification and part of the democratic process. And so when it was certified, I really thought long and hard, is this something that I want to do? Because where I live is the current Ward 6, uh, which is where the recall is happening in um, the residency requirement, but also the new Ward 1, which is kind of the district boundaries that were drawn pursuant to the settlement. And for me, because I go back to saying, you know, 
wanting to serve our residents and represent our community. Am I willing to do this? Because I, you know, was going to be in an 11th month uh, campaign. I was going to have more time. But at the end of the day, I truly feel that if you have the opportunity to step up and you have the ability to do so, then we need to do so. Because she has policies that I don't agree with. She's taken decisions and made uh, votes that I don't agree with. Um, and when you say she, uh, you mean Ceci, correct? Yes, Councilmember Iglesias. Um, both on and off the dais, she has said, said things about uh, our community that I feel is not just disrespectful, but harmful. And taking votes on ideas that I just don't agree with, including, you know, against affordable housing developments. And so... I think that it's necessary that we have someone on the dais who's not only qualified and have experience to do the work, but also can work collaboratively with other council members um, so that we can actually make things happen in the city rather than have political grandstanding. That is kind of what I've been seeing for the last you know, several years, if not forever. Right. So can you point to like any, any particular statements uh, of hers that you um, were, were offended by or just uh, thought were against our, our local community? Yes. So, I mean, she has a long history of denigrating the LGBTQ community um, when she was on the school board, as well as being a council member. And as someone with obviously, you know, family and friends from that community, I think it's not just offensive, but it is harmful. It is harmful to our community who needs the support, needs the leadership. So that's one. Recently, she, with COVID-19, she reposted on Facebook uh, a post that essentially said, and I might not be quoting exactly, but it said, you know, if COVID-19 closes down Planned Parenthood, it would have saved more lives than it killed. Like that is beyond the pale to me. And she continues to share um, kind of articles or, or memes that perpetuate a hoax that this may be, you know, over-exaggerated or this, you know, there is some type of conspiracy, right? And it's always, a lot of times it's done in a way that seems like she's just trying to open it for discussion. But what we need on the council is someone who's going to lead the discussion, who's going to bring solutions, who's going to lead the community and say, this is going to be okay and this is how we're going to get through this together, not open it up for conspiracy theories and people who are going to spread lies about the harm that can result from, you know, these posts. Yeah, no, I, I think um, I, I was surprised by some of the COVID stuff. I, I think I understand her maybe from her political um, stance, you know, the you know, socially conservative, fiscally conservative um, uh, woman, but the you know, the one that I w was surprised, I think it was a, a Dr. Fauci fraud post or Dr. Fraud oh. post. And that, that was uh, a little weird for me to, to scroll through my, uh, my news feed on that. Um, so definitely would love to talk to her about like what is going on with all that. Because I think that uh, th that is something that uh, folks are, are looking at and wondering what exactly is there. Um, now, I, I don't know like how um, as a country we move on from politicizing everything so that you know these sorts of situations um i always like to listen to, to experts right saying like people that have spent their lives studying particular issues that have developed a, a skill set and um right now i'm afraid that that might be slipping through the cracks and i know that you know, there's a lot of stuff that we haven't been able to do in response to this particular crisis um 
Is there anything that you would say that we could be doing right now that we're not um, as it relates to, to COVID? Yeah, I think, you know, we're seeing more leadership on the city council level because the county is failing to take on that mantle, right? The states are doing that because the federal government isn't doing that. But I would like to see more cities working together to say, you know, how do we work collaboratively excuse me, collaboratively to get this moving forward. And for me, part of it is, yes, doing these videos, passing these executive orders. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> um, but I think those are kind of the things that we should be doing. I really appreciate that the city obviously instituted the rent increase freeze and the eviction moratoria. Those are all the right things to do. Um, but, you know, a lot of it is also kind of, looking back with, uh, you know, 2020 vision, because obviously if we had been more prepared for something like this, we wouldn't be in such a dire situation. And um, part of it is kind of looking at, for example, you know, Fourth Street, a lot of those businesses were already struggling because of the streetcar. And now it's a double whammy, uh, which is obviously really concerning. So I think right now what we need to do is focus on bringing in you know, business leaders, asking them, what is it that you need? You know, what can the city do on the city level? And um, I'm not exactly sure that's currently happening. For residents, obviously, the eviction moratoria is fantastic, but I would like to see more hands-on support for folks who are struggling with rent, with their mortgage, and things like that. So... Uh, with more like hands-on support, what, what is it exactly as a policy that you're advocating for there? Yeah, so so far I've seen you know some Nixel posts and a couple of videos from the mayor, but um, there's no number in the city to call as far as I'm aware to get that kind of support. I know some other cities have that where they have designated staff who can help guide folks, um, you know, to different programs, whether it's state or federal. Um, I don't really know of any county programs that are available right now. Um, I'd like to see that because we should have that expertise in the city. We need to have someone in the city who's able to uh, take charge or several people in the city, right? We should have someone who knows about the SBA loans and who is in contact with uh, local banks or national banks and saying, okay, how do we connect our small businesses and as a city with some clout, um, connect them and help provide those resources uh, to the banks because that's really hard right now. If you're a you know, mom and pop shop, navigating the financial system is difficult on a regular basis, but to do it during this pandemic is next to impossible. Yeah, totally, totally agree with you there. I think, um, you know, when the pay, payment or paycheck protection uh, program was enacted, I think it was just such a flurry of activity around it but really unless you know now it seems unless uh, the folks were some of the first to get in and typically individuals with pre-existing relationships with um, other sba agencies they were all pretty much paused um so now i'm just looking to i think the feds are still looking to refund that particular program um however there was this one kind of you know, you know lots of little examples of government at different levels not uh, working and in this particular case, just finding that list of um, SBA-approved lenders in the Santa Ana, Orange County area was uh, difficult for even someone like me to find. And I, I looked and I looked, and really at the end of the day, the only thing you could do is call up the offices, but then no one was answering the offices. 
Right, right. And, um, you know, with unemployment, for example, obviously that's done at the state level, but um, we need, there's a lot of resources that are needed to even apply or to, you know, get that done for us because my husband, um, honorably separated from the military last month, he is now um, in that predicament, right? He had to apply for unemployment because uh, no one is hiring right now. It's it's difficult. It, everything is on a standstill. But we had to, you know, call and we were uh, waiting for a week and then we had to fax and all of these other things. But if you're someone who doesn't speak English or doesn't, isn't following the news all the time, uh, you don't know where to go. And the website is not easily navigable. And so I want to see us as a city say, okay, this is how you do it. These are the processes. This is the step. And also have someone who's can, who can advocate, you know, at the, the state level. Do we have a contact there? Um, what are we doing in that? You know, we should have a friend in the office. <laughs> you know, these kinds of things are, are, I know it doesn't feel like immediate or it doesn't seem like it's something that is concrete, but these relationships matter and that can help guide us through a lot of these kinds of difficult times. Yeah, no, totally agree. And, um, and, you know, we did talk about, uh, we did talk about relationships, then it's also um, processes and procedures. And I, I, I don't know if there are other uh, examples or anything else that you'd, you'd say from our pro- procedural standpoint that we have going on in the city that you would like to change, like you know, being as specific as possible uh, related to the issues that you uh, highlighted earlier. Yeah, so uh, there are a lot. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of things right, and I think there are a lot of things we can improve. Uh, one of the issues is uh, me being Vietnamese American and speaking Vietnamese, right? There's some things, some services we have, you know, are translated into Vietnamese and others are not, or there's just more difficult for monolingual Vietnamese speakers to access, even though we have, you know, almost 40,000 Vietnamese Americans, APIs in the city. And so, for example, when we're talking about housing, right, a lot of people are struggling with housing, struggling with, um, you know, purchasing purchasing homes uh, even before this crisis started, and we have programs to help with deposits. But it's not something that a lot of folks in the Vietnamese American community knows about. You know, we need to have these kinds of processes in place where we guarantee we have staffers who can go out into the community and really do that outreach. Um, another example is with the census. We you know, I participated in doing the census videos, and I think that was really awesome. I think it was really interesting and really moving, but we didn't have one in Vietnamese, even though that is obviously a notoriously undercounted population also within the city. Mm-hmm. Um, that goes on with, you know, small business grants. Um, you kind of have to dig through the website to find, you know, what kind of small business loans and grants are available to um businesses in the city. And those are the kind of things that people need the most help with. We should have a liaison that is more public, that is on social media, that is on Nextdoor and Nixel and going out there and looking at these mom and pop shops that are struggling so that we can support them and provide them with these services. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I, I think that, um, you know, looking at some of the, the results from those programs, I, I know with our um, our small business kind of loan applications and everything that we make uh, people go through. Um, you know, every year, we basically have a surplus there, um, both on the individual 
individuals that are given um, housing uh, down payment support, like every year, it's basically just a, a lot of money that's kind of left over in, in the account. Right. Um, yeah, and it's, you know, we never kind of question, well, what's going wrong with the program? Is there something there structurally that needs to change so that this money that was set aside, it's great that we have the program, but if no one actually uses it and we have a 0% um, success rate at the end of every quarter, <laughs> you know, and, you know, it's, it's great that it's there, but what, what's the impact of that tree falling when no one's around? Um, so there's definitely, you know, looking at some of those metrics and, uh, on those issues that you brought up and, you know, the fact that, um, for so long, the west side of the city has felt like its own um, little world that, you know, essentially, if, if you looked at the old maps, was split amongst uh, what, three different uh, council members and mm-hmm. uh, never really had kind of a unified uh, voice on, on the dais. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting times for sure, uh, now that there's going to be more representation uh, for that community. Right. And you know, the current Ward 6 and the new Ward 1, and this is where it gets kind of confusing for folks, but so with this special recall election, it's for the current Ward 6, um, and November it becomes this, you know, new Ward 1 and whatnot, but Ward 6, the current Ward 6 and the new Ward 1 overlap, um, but the vast majority of the land area. So it is a very similar space, but you know, more of the north side is then uh, brought into the new Ward 1 so that it's a more complete map where the communities stay together. So, you know, it's frustrating to see how that original or that the current map is because it's very clear to me that the community was separated. Um, I can't say as to what the reason for that is, but um, it is frustrating. And, uh, you know, I think in our city, the fact that we did that especially to the API community is really concerning. And I'm glad that it's, you know, moving forward and changing because we have a minority majority city, but we also need to have that representation of other minorities on the Kadias too. And that is reflected in the fact that, you know, our services and programs are not reaching out to a pretty large minority in the city. And, you know, when you're talking about these programs, I, I love that you said, you know, when you have a 0% success rate, it's um, it's really frustrating because I know there's a need, right? Over, I believe the number is like over 64% of our uh, Santa Ana residents are rent burdened. Mm-hmm. And so that means we have a huge number of residents who can't afford down payments. So really that program should go uh, and be used up pretty fast, but it's not mom and pop shops are struggling with, you know, a lot of developments and rises in commercial rents. So that program should really go, <laughs> go really fast. Those funds should be flying out the door and it's not. So um, I agree, you know, I think we're in agreement there that we really need to fix that so that we can get these funds out to folks. No, absolutely. And um, just because uh, we always want this to be to the, the broadest possible general audience with, without any kind of background in any sort of field. So when you keep saying API, I understand it's a, uh, but, just for our audience, uh, what oh, does API stand for? Yeah, so it means, uh, sorry, um, Asian Pacific Islander. So it's just a general term that we use to um, to refer to Asian Americans. Okay, perfect. Just uh, just for our audience out there. Um, and, you know, kind of what are the, the issues that we're dancing around here um, and that, you know, different campaigns have touched on or not not touched on uh, is the issue of rent control. And you kind of talked about it actually um, in a weird way, or not in a weird way, but in a um, 
in a way, it almost seemed to be brought up both on the commercial sector and on the residential sector. So I'm not sure if you can tell me about your stance on uh, either one of those, both commercial and uh, residential rent control. Yeah. So with rent control, you know, one, we have a state law, right, AB 1482, Assembly Bill 1482, that has um, some rent control in it. Uh, it's the Tenant Protection Act of 2019. And so I think that's really important. But one of the things that it doesn't cover that truly affects a lot of Santa Ana residents is the fact that it doesn't apply to people living in mobile home parks. Uh, mobile home parks are you know, places where people own the building that they're in, but they lease the land. And over the last you know, 10, 20 years, um, they've really been struggling with those land leases. And so for me, rent control is kind of one of the tools in the toolbox to deal with our housing crisis. And in Santa Ana, you know, we have a median income that's $20,000 approximately, lower than the median income for the county. So what's affordable in other cities isn't necessarily what's affordable in our city. And for me, I think that looking at how we can help renters by looking at rent control or expanding 1482 or you know expanding it to mobile home residents is one tool. But I really think that we also have to build, especially in areas that can absorb impacts. So when you look, for example, on some areas of the West Side, we have a lot of single family homes. But we also have a lot of families that love to live in multi-generational households or near each other. And that basically covers most Latinos and Asian Americans. <laughs> and, I, I do love living with my mom. So yeah. And I live five minutes away from my mom. But the only reason why my husband and I were able to afford a home is because he uh, was on active duty and we qualified for the VA loan, which allowed us to put zero down on a townhouse. And so for me, Part of the reason why we don't have more, you know, townhomes or, or duplexes or triplexes that people can afford, that families can afford is because we're not building them. So let's look at areas in the city that can absorb those impacts, uh, you know, slightly higher density, and we build those. Because for me, just saying that rent control is the solution, I think, is uh, limited. I don't think rent control is a panacea for all of our issues here in the city. I think saying that rent control is the one thing that will solve it is kind of like walking through the door and closing it behind you. You know, it helps those who already have a place to live, but it doesn't help those who are looking for a place to live. Yeah, no, I, um, I, I totally understand that, that line of argument, especially, um, you know, just kind of with, with the sentiment both on the right and the left is that we're full. Um, it's kind of almost a bipartisan, uh, across-the-board consensus, uh, which is a, a little bit tough to break through when you say that, no, maybe we might need to build uh, additional housing. Because I, I feel that there's almost more of an anti, um, anti-development anti uh, coalition that's uh, that has a very broad uh, base of political support. And um, but I, I don't know how you, you plan on navigating kind of th those politics there. So for me, I've always been an advocate of smart development. I have spoken at the city council in support of a Jamboree housing project that is all affordable housing that does not displace residents, that ensures that we have more <laughs> units that our residents here can afford. But I'm also against the 2525 North Main development 
which you know is near the discovery cube because it's much too dense for the area it's doesn't include any affordable housing it doesn't include any union labor it doesn't have any community benefits agreement and the community there as well as you know 19,000 other residents who signed the petition doesn't want it because it doesn't improve the community but i think our communities are willing to look at projects that actually help us and so by that i mean you know again duplexes, townhomes, those are, you know, places where you can have this, you know, sense of home ownership, you can purchase homes, but still live near each other. But it's not this overly dense, you know, all luxury housing that no one here can afford. So I think that that's kind of where we have to look at it, because I don't think Santa Ana residents are necessarily against all development. Um, Obviously, by looking at some of the public comments made regarding uh, the Bain Place Mall revitalization or uh, some, you know, obviously Jamboree housing, I, I'd be one of those individuals, mm-hmm. that we like it, but it just has to be something that actually benefits the residents who live here. Right, and, and so the Jamboree one that you're referring to, is that one of the senior projects on first or what, what are their other uh, projects? Uh, no, it's not a senior project. It hasn't been built yet, as far as I can remember. I don't remember what street it's on, but it's not meant just for seniors, and it's not veteran housing. It, it's just kind of a typical, you know, has affordable housing units, moderate to very low. And um, it's the one where we have kind of, um, what do you call it? It has... Um, a, not a streetcar, but like a shuttle for off, off-site parking. And has some really interesting stuff going on there. The developer um, really went above and beyond what they, you know, legally needed to do to help our residents, um, especially with, you know, parking and traffic and all of that stuff. Okay, but so it's, yeah, it's, I think it is uh, still the one in the Metro East um, overlay zone. So not the senior project, but the project next to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I don't remember it being all seniors. Yeah, there were two Jamboree projects, I think, that were coming in. I'm not sure exactly when Jamboree jumped in off the senior project as as, uh, as the lead developer, but I remembered vaguely that that was kind of the two projects that came in with a, a pretty substantial number of units, but like you said, an area that was not uh, a pre-existing neighborhood that has relatively wide streets, uh, proximity to freeway access, as well as um, relatively high um, bus turnaround times. So just a lot of things kind of going forward as far as its overall location. Um, and then for uh, any of the folks kind of listening, I, I think one of the things we're going to try to pull up is a, a link to the development map going on in the city, because there actually is, or at least for, before the, um, the the pandemic, there was quite a bit of construction going on throughout the city. Um, kind of more of a question as to whether or not um, it's the right amount, too much, or not enough. And uh, I, I think mm-hmm. that, you know, as a city council member, you obviously, um, your experience as a city attorney helping out other um, municipalities with land use questions, those are really some of the biggest issues that are going to come before you. Right. And, you know, first off, I'd like to say that Santa Ana is doing its fair share of housing development, right? We um, have reached our ARENA numbers. I believe we're expected to reach our next set of ARENA goals. That's uh, the regional housing needs assessment um, that is done every few years. And Santa Ana is one of the few cities that are actually meeting its requirements. And so I'm, you know, I applaud the city so far for doing that. Um, so, you know, we're not behind anyone else, but the question is whether those, those buildings are actually addressing the need. And I think, 
you know, part of what I intend to do and my commitment is to really look at those with an eagle eye and say, okay, how does this benefit our community today rather than someone from another city who might find, okay, well, this is nice enough. I'll live here, but it's cheaper than where I'm currently living. Right. And, and I think that that's been one of the main things as far as the way that we structure that, that uh, the overall housing um, goals and elements and the way that it's done at the state level. So, uh, you yeah, know, for those of you that uh, don't know, these requirements are initi- or were initiated by the state of California. So the city must comply. Uh, there's relatively little in the way of punishments um, for for not meeting these goals. Uh, I know that you can kind of withhold money for building, but you know if you're a community that doesn't want to build, then you never meet your arena numbers, and you're actually okay because then you never grew, and then your next set of arena numbers are much lower um, because you didn't grow the previous ten years. So there's I, I think a little bit on, on the technical side as far as the way that the uh, arena is ca- the um, uh, regional housing needs assessment is calculated. Um, that we might want to question. So that's a whole other, mm-hmm. uh, I think, another a, podcast. A, that's a total <laughs> podcast, just arena. I, I am actually super fascinated by that number. I'm hoping to get one of my old uh, professors to, to talk about it. Um, but the, you know, as, as far as our local context, we've been growing um, at a pretty steady clip. I think more so than, um, you know, we grew really even during the, the periods of the 90s and early 2000s. We basically had a hiatus on any kind of construction in the city. And, um, you know, now we're kind of figuring out, you know, what is actual um, smart urban uh, transit orientated, uh, you know, um, basically, you know, transit friendly development look like. And it's, it's a tough question if you're already kind of one of the most dense communities, a uh, community that lacks park space. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've already taken a position uh, publicly on the Willowick, um, you know, site and what's going on over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've talked to, you know, residents and people who've been following that project. And I definitely have an idea. I One thing I have said is, well, I'm open to every solution, but I do have to say it does concern me that we are looking at completely open space. Um, and the reason why I say that is one, I do understand the need, you know, the benefits to our social, psychological, physical health by having open space. I know Santa Ana lacks open space. But at the same time, I am concerned with the fact that, you know, one, we need to have housing that residents can live in. And two, we cannot force Garden Grove to do whatever it is they want to do at this point, right? Um, They are the landowner. And even with the Surplus Land Act, they do have a lot more hoops to jump through. Uh, As you may know, they that just you know went into effect this year, the new updates. And they do have a lot of hoops to jump through, but I think as a community, we will succeed if we, one, come up with a plan that makes financial sense for them because they are a property owner, right? The city of Santa Ana doesn't own it. The city of Garden Grove does. And for them, they're gonna look at their residents and see what's beneficial to their budget. Mm-hmm. Two, who can we get to work with us? A developer, uh, you know, it could be affordable housing developer or any type of developer, maybe affordable housing and commercial developer to say, we're going to come up with ideas that benefits residents. And I think we can have mixed use with open space. I think that is doable. I think that it's, you know, it's a hundred acres. And so there are a lot of different ideas we can put in there, but I do think that I do have a concern that it, you know, it's just going to be all open space because what you will see then is 
it's still next to the streetcar. People are going to start going in and they're going to start selling their homes. They're just going to start buying the streets all up around the park. And you're going to run into the same problem that we're concerned with today, which is gentrification around the park. Right. So, okay, and, and I think that that's uh, one of the things that uh, folks might not see right now. You know, part of the argument is, um, you know, any sort of development improves the property values and then kind of in, indirectly displaces people. But at the same time, you know, a, a original park is a very nice amenity to be next to. And then that would also um, potentially have uh, displacement effects just by being around a nice park. Yeah. So if you look at even our regional mile square park, all the homes in Fountain Valley and, you know, even a few of those right there in Santa Ana, they're very expensive. Um, They're all these really nice single family homes. You look at obviously the easiest example is New York. (laughs) Park four, everything around Central Park (laughs) will cost me more than three lifetimes to afford. (laughs) So um, especially in kind of this area that is, you know, central, near public transit, near a huge green area. Um, That might be something that happens down the road if we don't include, again, you know, some type of housing affordability and commercial or things like that, that actually helps generate income and jobs for those people who are already living there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I totally uh, hear what you're saying on that. Um, And I guess the, the thing for me always ends up being, you know, at at least with this particular decision is, um, you know, the city, of Garden Grove has its own interest as a property owner, and then the city mm-hmm. of Santa Ana, um, because of the decision back in the 1950s, never to to release the land over to um, to Garden Grove and to change the borders. You know, mm-hmm. we we ended up uh, with land use authority around the, this particular property, and you know, and then we have our own kind of regional um, interest um, at stake as well. And you know, between the two, it's kind of you know, it is finding that balance. But at the end of the day. If the city of Santa Ana does nothing, it still remains open space, and then you know the property has to be sold as open space. So there's you know, that sort of push and pull dynamic, and um, you know I, I guess I just really want the most amount of good uh, for the for the area, and you know with such a high demand for park space. To me, I, I see that I do see kind of a central park model in the sense that it would be our crown jewel of a park. Uh, you know, in fact. Um, you know, those hundred acres, really roughly the size of Miles Square's public access that isn't a golf course. Um, so it, it would it would just be a wonderful addition. But yeah, that's a whole another another story to, to dive into. And I'm sure we're going to get some folks um, from the Willowick Coalition on to, to kind of talk about, um, you know, what they envision for that area. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's really important to to, you know, to get that community involvement, to make sure that we are talking to residents and, you know, see what they want. And of course, not just the residents who live there, but as you said, this is a regional space. Uh, so, you know, really the city needs to, you know, expand into that. But, you know, talking about Willowig being open space right now, it's possible that they just keep it a golf course. Yeah. Right. Which, <laughs> I mean, that that's status quo is always a possibility. And I don't know about you, but I've only been golfing one time in my life for a charity golf tournament. And <laughs> I don't use that space. I could be wrong, but I imagine the residents living near there are not golfing. So I, I almost think that's a worst option because, you know, now it ends up being something that our residents aren't able to use really, um, no one else is using and it stays the same the way it is. Um, and it's not generating, I think, funds also for our budget here in the city of Santa Ana. 
Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think that's important. Yeah, no, I, yeah, those are absolutely all uh, different considerations to to take into account. And you know, there in fact there are actually it's strange though because there there is another golf course that the city on land that the city owns that's leased out constantly that everyone always kind of forgets about. Um, and that's the Riverview Golf Course. So that, mm-hmm. at least a portion of that uh, near Alona Park is actually owned by the city and leased out to this particular um, golf company over at the Riverview Golf Course. That's something the city has pretty much total control over. But because it's not up for renewal, um, at least in the immediate future, I don't think anyone's really ha- has their eyes on that. Um, and the other, uh, you know, portion of uh, the other portion of that. Um, um, area is also controlled by the county. So it's just kind of a, a lot of different land use, um, a lot of uh, different government entities that control the land around there. And it's uh, this weird nexus of parks, golfing, and uh, leases from the from the middle of the 20th century that we're still kind of discussing today. Right. And, you know, these are the kind of things that I want to be able to kind of sit down with folks and talk about and, you know, be considerate and thoughtful about, speak to the community. And um, just to circle back with, you know, regard to building housing and, you know, what our plans are for the space. And, you know, our general plan is getting updated. Uh, The scoping meeting for the environmental impact report has already happened. And that happened earlier this spring. And I was there talking to residents about kind of some of the housing concerns, right? Some residents were already too dense. We shouldn't have any more housing. We should downzone in certain areas. And, you know, we have to inform residents and say, well, guess what? You know, the state has mandated recently SB 330, Senate Bill 330, that doesn't allow us to downzone. That doesn't, that requires building of homes and things like that. So, you know, working within the confines of what the state mandates also is something that I is a big part of my mission to uh, communicate to residents, and that's going to, I think, really impact this particular space too. Right. So I, I guess everyone feels um, so. Yeah. Like, why? Why is Santa Ana like the only place building? And yeah, you know, to a certain extent, I think that um, you know it's understandable. I, I know we had talked about Santa Ana kind of reading, uh, meeting their their arena numbers, but I, I think that you know the city of Beverly Hill, Hills did as well because they needed to construct like one unit. Um, according to their calculation, which is, you know, we're, we're, uh, <laughs> yeah. so you're like, well, you know, did they really meet their the, the regional housing needs? Um, well, according to the way the formula was, was created, yes. Um, so, again, very interested in diving into the way that that formula is created, the ins and outs of it. Um, but moving on to other, other issues that, um, you know, will kind of impact our, our, our locals here. Uh, I just wanted to dive into, you know, what is your relationship with the POA? And I, and I do mean specifically um, the Police Officers Association as a union, uh, not so much the police. I think they're distinct entities. Yes, they're definitely distinct entities. And my cousin is a, a police officer. And obviously my husband was in the military and we have, you know, other military individuals in my family. So I definitely see the distinction there. Um, I have publicly stated that I am not seeking or receiving the endorsement or support of the POA. Um, In fact, when the budget issue first came up in 2019 regarding whether to give them raises or not, I uh, was one of the people who commented and said, you know, let's let's look at the budget, Measure X sunsets. And if that's the sole source of funding these uh, pensions that will last indefinitely, then we have a problem because the numbers don't add up. 
And now with COVID-19, we're starting to really feel the impact of that. And I don't know if we're going to hit the projections that the city had before. And well, most likely we won't. And so for me, there, there's someone that, of course, like with anyone else, I am willing to talk to, discuss concerns with. But, you know, especially for this election and any election, I'm not seeking their support. All right. Well, all right. Thank you for, for being direct on that one. Um, so another random question. Uh, did you actually sign the recall petition? I did not. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> uh, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, I disagree with the council member on many things. And, uh, but I didn't sign the recall petition. I didn't seek it out. They didn't come looking for me. Uh, they didn't hound me at my local Vons or Trader Joe's. And so, you know, it's one of those things where all of us in this kind of world, we're like, okay, well, do we recall? Do we wait until the next election? So I kind of let it happen uh, to see what residents wanted. And well, residents wanted it. They, they signed the petition. And now that it's on the ballot for May 19th, we're all going to get to participate in democracy and vote to decide whether we will recall Ceci Iglesias or not. And so the, I'm leaving it in the voters' hands. Let's make democracy happen, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what will happen though? Like, uh, I guess the part I'm um, still curious about. So, if you win this, are you out of November? Like, what happens then? Like, uh... so I like to, you know, one foot in front of the other, <laughs> uh, especially today, uh, these these days. Um, but. What will happen? Well, one on the ballot, of course, you have two questions, right? One, which is, do you support the recall of Cecilia Iglesias? Yes or no? And of course, I'm advocating yes. And secondly, if she is in fact recalled, who do you support to, uh, you know, replace her? Of course, I hope that you vote for me, Ty Viet Fan. I'm number two on the ballot. But, um, you know, this term, this seat is kind of the last remaining at large seat. Uh, it's this weird kind of, you know, leftover. Uh, space and right. it turns and, and at large. Uh, wh what does at large mean? So that means that this is the last council seat in which there is a residency requirement, meaning the council member has to come from the current ward six, but everybody in the city can vote. And in November, that changes. The borders changes for the districts, and then at that time. Only a council member has to be from a specific district and only the residents and voters in that district can vote for them. So um, it changes. For me, I'm running now because I'm trying to get on the dais as soon as possible so we can get to work. And, you know, no matter what happens, once November comes, then we'll think about it then. Because, <laughs> you know, at this point, not really sure what's going to happen. Um, but but no, seriously, though, um, for me, it was really important to say, you know, this is a seat that is important that makes a difference on a project like 2525 or a project, you know, another project that can come up before then. Uh, that's really important. And so I wanted to make sure that we get there and make some good decisions together. All right. No, well, um, I, I guess with that, like, is there uh, anything else you'd like to um uh, talk about or uh, anything else you'd like the, the audience to hear before we, we go. I, I might have, well, actually, it looks like maybe one more question for you after that, but I, I'd like to, to see if you have anything to add. 
Yeah. So, you know, I mean, obviously we said I didn't sign the petition, but for me, this recall is not just personal, but well, it's political and personal, right? Because again, both as a council member, as a private individual on the dais, off the dais, she not only has made statements about our community, whether it's the LGBTQ community, immigrants, despite the fact that she's an immigrant herself, supporting policies against immigrant communities, right? All of these things that I think harm our city more than help our city is a huge reason why I am running in this recall. But also, it is really distressing to know that she seems to fail to read every staff report. I mean, at the last council meeting, she, you know, complained about how or like talked about how we weren't putting money into revitalizing rate, the street, you know, street construction, except 20 minutes before that, she had literally voted to appropriate funds to fix rate. So, you know, these are the kind of things where we need council members on the dais who, you know, are fully informed, who are following facts, who are looking at the data and making considerate and thoughtful decisions that help residents. And so for me, having that background as my everyday job, but also being a you know, Santa Ana resident pretty much for most of my life and owning a home here because, you know, we have the VA loan um, is why I wanted to do this, why I wanted to be here and really help bring the city forward. And it's a new time, it's a new era for Santa Ana. You know, we're, we're going to have a bunch of new council members because of these, uh, the elections coming up. And so I really think that it's important for us to kind of bring in a new generation of leaders with, you know, bold and new ideas to really change the direction of the city. All right. Well, yeah, thanks for, for uh, coming on here. Um, I, I guess like, you know, what other hard decisions are coming up? It's what, you know, especially now with the, um, what w- it looks like it's going to be a budget crunch. Like what are those hard decisions that are coming? There are a lot, <laughs> but um, I think a lot of it is going to be with services, um, kind of auxiliary services, kind of a lot of the you know community programs and things like that. Uh, that unfortunately, while I think are just really important, right? But uh, we have to really pare down to essential services and making sure that we can you know still provide that. That we still are you know providing you know dealing with fire and uh, response times for public safety, making sure that we are, you know, keeping our streets safe with folks that may or may not be following the guidelines for COVID-19. Like that's uh, really scary that there are folks out there still not believing the science. And so, you know, I think those are some of the difficult decisions that have to be made. And I think we have to be creative. We have to think about, okay, what what are some ways to, you know, reprioritize. And I think that's going to require consensus on the dais. I think it's going to require leadership and flexibility. And uh, that's what I want to do. Okay. Well, um, Ty, uh, thank you for joining us uh, virtually um, over here from the Michael Scott Paper Company Studios. Um, I know that you are going to be getting ready for another, um, let's see, interview, I think, and a, a debate. So the debate's coming up, I, I believe, next week. Um, uh, the debate is coming up April 22nd. Oh, okay. So it's, it'll be this Wednesday then? Yes. Okay. Um, so we don't know whether or not this, I, I believe this is all going to come out after the debate. So uh, we'll, we'll see how everyone does. Um, we're going to be inviting all the other uh, council candidates uh, to, or, uh, yeah, all the candidates uh, to, to come up here um, as well. So hopefully we'll be able to get to talk to Nelida and Angie to 
to see their um, you know perspectives on on this whole thing and then uh, hear from them as well. Uh, you know, I respect anyone that gets uh, involved and enters the arena. So thank you for that. It's not easy. Uh, to know that. Um, yeah, it takes one to know one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and I guess at the end of it, it's just that the city of Sydney has a, a very deep pool of talent out there and um, a lot of resources that I don't think that we necessarily um, utilize in the best way at the local level. So really, um, you know, anyone trying to make a difference, I think that, you know, that, that uh, difference is commendable no, no matter where someone comes from on the political spectrum. But, you know, was, we're, we're in this together, right? And I think that, if anything, um, you know, this current pandemic has shown just, just how um, much we need each other when we are in a period of vulnerability. So, you know, with that, uh, you know, thank you. Uh, good luck on your race. Um, we'll hopefully uh, have you, um, you know, back here, uh, either as a planning commissioner in a, or in a different capacity, um, you know, depending on what the issues come before the, uh, the city. Sure. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. It was my first podcast ever. And so oh. definitely a memorable one. Well, it's <laughs> um, only my second one. So <laughs> maybe we'll do a special Harry Potter episode after all of this because we'll all need it. <laughs> as long as I can still wear my Lord of the Rings stuff and be like, nope. <laughs> we can do that one too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Cool. Thanks, Ty. No, thank you. All right. Bye bye. Bye. That was a Coke, I swear. It actually is. It's a delicious Coca-Cola. It's it's getting hot. (laughs) All right. So, well, thank you all uh, for listening. I hope that was informative. I know that I learned a lot, uh, you know, in that conversation with her. And uh, just hoping that we can get some of the other uh, candidates uh, to come on down and give give us their perspective as well. So we've uh, outreached um, to each one of the candidates and uh, extended uh, their welcome onto the podcast. So hopefully uh, they will um, say yes and uh, be on here so they can, you know, you can hear from them as well. Because I, I don't think it's... Um, it's wise for anyone to be unwilling to listen to other folks in you know in the community just because we all are, are living here this is something that you know if you have disagreements with folks you're gonna have to work with them or work around them or you know at least uh, deal with, with with them at some level because we all live together in this community and we're all interconnected so um, you know with that I just want to you know give a, a you know, major thank you again to Edgar Silver for uh, engineering this at the um, well, I always like to call it the Michael Scott Paper Company Studios, but it is uh, more more uh, commonly known as Iron Lion Studios. Uh, so, Edgar, thank you. And, um, you know, uh, the uh, artist uh, known as Frosty for providing the music uh, today. So thank you very much uh, for, for doing that and for, you know, um, you know, being a contributor to our local artistic community here. And, uh, you know, for those of you that are still looking for other things to be involved in, uh, the city is still doing its outreach for its strategic plan. So that's the plan that the city uh, puts together every five to 10 years to kind of you know, prioritize where resources go into. So there's going to be a link uh, in the description on that as well. It's a you know, super important document. Um, all these things are important. And, uh, yeah, thank you again uh, for listening, for being involved and for caring. And, uh, you know, hope to catch you on the next podcast. You know, this is for you. So let me know uh, what works, uh, what topics you want to cover. And, uh, you know, if you have any suggestions for guests, uh, we're all open and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we'll be seeing you soon. Baby, homie, when I'm feeling lonely, why you always with your homies? If you really love me, then show me. 
sense Found my freedom and I wet But I keep falling for those bawling eyes over lost causes Hate to break it till your baby found that life pauses For no one go about it Fast as feet runner Bide by the sun and revolt against the woozes Hearts are falling in love, everyone's acting like a fool I said it's hard to fall in love, everyone's acting like a damn fool So, baby homie, when I'm feeling lonely, why you always with your homies? If you really love me, then show me I wanna be free, pretty poet, laying down her own prophecy with some bruised up knees. She don't cry, she bleeds and listens when she can't speak. Can't speak. To the sound of the thumps of a beat under bumps, pumping fuel just because prefer nugs over lumps and lending hands as your love. Teary eyed, I have sunk into my own sea. Yeah, you know me, you can see it in my eyes. I ain't really gotta speak. I prefer to keep it brief Especially with my words Cause I know how I feel Baby, fuck what you heard Always talking Baby, homie, when I'm feeling lonely Why you always with your homies? If you really love me, then show me Show me Show me 